Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Mahai, what is going on? And welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim with Nani Al-Jaleel and Tomas Hernandez from Tribe Recovery Homes. Our guest is Jeremy Dean from North Denver. And uh, if you've never checked this program out before, well, thank you for being here. And this program is all about addiction and recovery. Everybody in this room has dealt with addiction. We're in our recovery. And we just want to share that uh, recovery happens, that if you are suffering or somebody you know care and love about um, is suffering an addiction, we want you to know that, yes, your recovery can happen. And so that's what we're here to share today. So thank you for checking us out, Nani. Yes. <laughs> Before we started, uh, we're talking about how, how we all get along here. Jeremy, we're talking about how like Tomas is, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's the recovery brain, you know, I'm like your average guy here, you know, talking about my recovery. Nani's the girl. And she was like, what do you mean? The girl? J- just the girl. I did not say she's just, like, just the girl. She's like, girl. Steve, like Stephen yeah. Wright back, the guy on the couch. Mm. She just, <laughs> just hanging out. Yeah. Just holding his face. Just throws out one <laughs> nugget just cannot, every now and then. I cannot feel like I offended her more before the show started. So first of all, I apologize. Thank you. So and much. I did not say just it's okay i never said just that's still valuable you are <laughs> extremely valuable just <laughs> extremely uh, knowledgeable um woman in recovery yeah. sitting in the room thank you that's pa- true. and not only that st- member of the team yes 100 <laughs> percent. right all it's right really a member of the team yes right. i'm right so, thank you the so most I'm, important one because we <laughs> don't organize nothing well yes without but exactly without nani there'd be no show yeah who called you to be here jeremy nani did that's exactly. right, exactly. that's right jeremy she didn't thank call me you. she texted me several times I did. I yeah. made sure we were on track, sent all the links. Yeah. So you're yeah. not just the woman. You are the magic behind the scenes. Thank you. Along sir. with Dan in the corner. That's right. Yeah. You know, you're the magic behind the scenes the, and the beauty in front of the camera. Oh, thank you. That's See? Point. I'll take it. Bam. I'll take it. You're going. You're on a roll. <laughs> I'm on a roll. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Tomas. You're also the beauty. Yeah, I'm going to just drink in my Cadillac. Front of you the camera. Me. Thank you, Sean Rogie and, and We have got everybody some else. of the poop. Poop, most poop-looking yeah, coffee. I think Tony V made this <laughs> this coffee, but I just made it into a Cadillac like I was in prison and put uh, choc- hot chocolate in it. Uh, so it's wonderful. So, it's great. We're ready to go. Uh, so this program, gave, like we I said... I gave my son Dan some. He's about just drinking them over there. About addiction and recovery. And Tomas uh, brought in our guest, Jeremy. You guys go way back. Yeah, way extremely. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. So, so that's it. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, me and Jeremy uh, uh, had pretty similar upbringings. Is like, you know, uh, parents wise different, but street wise with families definitely. Um, we resonated together pretty quickly through the streets to recovery um, and reconnected again. Um, he's uh, actually, you know, break anonymity. If you're cool with it, he's actually yeah, my sponsor. You know what I mean? I have my sponsor on the show right now. No um, way. Yeah, so what's my little secret recipe in Las Vegas is without the support of Jeremy, 
Vegas's last year was hard enough. It had been a whole lot harder if I didn't have him and Frank and all the great people that, that are out there that, that give that, that recovery support. Like you sit in the middle of a casino in the places that we go and you don't got the right people around you, you could really fall on your butt. So, you know, with that being said, um, his story is amazing. I've been trying to get him on this thing. He's been kind of just waiting and this, this, and that. And then he finally asked me, and that's how Jeremy is. You know what I mean? I gave up, and then, uh, you know, and then I also got my little tributes to the stuff he used to do. So I got a, a, a Flow 107 lighter and uh, a rose <laughs> a, a rose vial yeah. that we used to grab yeah. right from the streets right there so That's we can it. get high but this one has candy in it y'all so see how <laughs> this is the this is the recovery version of that but yeah um really excited about the show because not only he knows denver north denver not highlands north denver he does know highlands too but um yeah more north denver he does know traveling. He knows addiction from the, from the front end, you know. And obviously, he's my sponsor, and I trust him with my insides and my life because you know that's that's basically where where that's at, you know. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm I'm really honored, Jeremy, to have you on here. You're my brother. I mean, not just your friend. You're my brother, man. You're your blood. Um, we've been through a lot in the last few years, and we're gonna keep going. So. Our guest is Jeremy Dean from North Denver, and uh, this program is your program at this time. We turn it over to you Oof. to share your story. So thank you so much for being here. I do like having control. It's part of <laughs> <laughs> so, when I usually talk about Alcoholics Anonymous or recovery, whatever it is, I usually preface it with saying like most of the people in this, in this recovery world ain't going to make it. Mm. Like alcohol and drugs are undefeated. That's right. And I've seen that throughout my life. Like I... My first day, I mean, I went to when I was like five years old, my old man. He was a heroin junkie, drug dealer, and all that, all that fun stuff to deal with when you're a child. And I, I learned rather quickly what drug addiction is. Like, my dad would choose heroin over his kids. He'd choose heroin over anything. You know, he, Tomas, we were talking before the show about my, my dad. When he was sober, he was a good, good, good human being. He understand the philosophy of Alcoholics now is like helping other people, showing up, you know, being honest. You know, he was in and out of the program for a long time. I think uh, I loved my grandparents till about 1986. My dad finally kind of got clean, was doing the deal. You know, he stayed sober like six years and we had like that, that Brady Bunch life. You know, you come home, how was your day, son? It was great, smiles. How's your day, dad? Good, went to work. Didn't shoot dope. Everything was good. And when I was a kid, like, we could tell, like, when things got bad was when I came home and there was, like, no spoons in the drawer. You know, I was finding heroin under the sink. I was trying to hide that from my brother and my sister. You know, I remember we used to go to the SAA meeting, and uh, there was a bunch of us kids. They had, like, a real tight group up in North Denver, Primary Purpose, and other clubs up there. And there was a bunch of us kids about the same age with their parents, and I'm pretty sure all of us grew up to be alcoholics and drug addicts. Mm -hmm. Almost every single one of us. Even all the destruction we saw, all the you know, hard days we saw, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we all ended up doing the same same stuff because that's what we knew. You know, I uh, started drinking around 13, and when I, but that first drink I took, I, I knew it wasn't like my other friends who were drinking with me. Like me and my brother, I drank and I felt invincible. I was like, this is it. I found the answer to all my problems. Like anything in my life that comes up, I know the answer. I just do this and that's it. 
you know, I, I did cocaine when I was like 14 or 15. I was like, nope, now I found the answer. This is it. Same, same feeling. Like, whatever was going on inside of me changed. You know, that, that not worthy feeling changed, that I don't de- deserve this life changed. Like, I can do anything. I can accomplish anything. You know, my brother, me and him are real, real tight. And, you know, we got into the life, you know, selling drugs, running card rooms, selling guns, everything. We did all that stuff. And we, uh, I know, like, there came a point in my life where I didn't know if I was capable of loving anything, loving anybody, being a part of anything. Like, I just wanted to go to oblivion. And when I look back on it today, like, that's what drugs and alcohol gave me. Like, it gave me that that dream of nothing, right? That dream of apathy, that dream of nothing matters. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing I do is going to, doesn't matter because I, I don't care. And that's, that's the dream drugs and alcohol sold me. And, you know, I loved it because I, I didn't care. You know, when I uh, went to jail, did, did the deal, you know, me and my brother got into life. My dad taught me how to be a gangster. So that's what we did. And my dad, in and out, in and out of AA. I remember thinking one day, like, so I met a, I met a girl. We got engaged, and I was still heavy in my use, heavy in my drinking. I remember thinking, I don't even really know if I love this woman or not. I'm just, I'm just doing this because that's what people do. Mm. You know, I remember waking up in the hospital on November 11, 2002. I had to blow on .47, like the tube in my mouth, like, pump my stomach. And her looking at me and saying, Jeremy, I don't know who you are. And me kind of realized, like, I don't know who I am either. Because I was completely, completely lost. I had no ambition, no anything. I just wanted to get high. Wanted to run away from everything. I, I mean, I didn't lose anything the first time I got sober. I had a house, like two boxes full of money, cars, a fiance, all that stuff. But I was to a place in my life, they talk about in the big book, is, uh, big books of Alcoholics Anonymous about the jumping off place, right? I'm going to choose to live or die. It was a hard choice for me because dying sounded pretty good because it's that, 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 that dream of nothing, right? It's a dream of I got this. I'm, I'm going to die and who cares? Mm-hmm. I remember the first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting I went to was in Arvadis where my dad sobered up. First time in my life I raised my hand and said, I'm Jeremy, I'm an alcoholic, and I finally felt something different. I was 24 years old. You know, I... I was terrified. I wish someone would have told me when I was young that your biggest problem in life is not going to be drugs and alcohol. The biggest problem in your life is you're scared and you base every decision in your life on yourself. Everything is about Jeremy, about what Jeremy wants, about how Jeremy's going to get it. That selfishness was completely eating me up. I had no idea. And I've been to hundreds of AA meetings. My dad had just never listened to a bunch of old white guys who I didn't care about. So I got sober. I started doing the, the real easy AA where you show up, sit in the back corner, don't say nothing, and leave before the meeting's, <laughs> before the meeting's over. Like I, I showed up. I can tell my fiance that I went to an AA meeting today and tell the people in my life we went to an AA meeting today, and they think my life is great. And granted, like inside I was still dying, like slowly dying, super miserable, and had no idea why. I couldn't. You, you could ask me like Jeremy how's your day doing I would have told if I was going to be honest like I want to blow my brains out because that's how I felt and about nine months of that misery I finally got to a point where it's like I need to do something 
because this is what being sober is about. This is what recovery is about. There's no way. I don't know how these people do it. I don't know why are these people laughing and smiling, having a good time in these AA meetings and talking about the darkest stuff they, they, they know. And I'm like, I don't feel that way at all. And I called my old man and he told me, Jeremy, like, do yourself a favor and get a sponsor and do the work. Maybe something will change. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't picked up a book. I barely read the steps on the wall, barely listened to anybody. I just showed up and, you know, sat there like, da, 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 and then left. So I, my alcoholicness, I was like, well, I want to pick a sponsor I can manipulate and, you know, tell what I need to tell and not be completely honest about this because I don't want people knowing my deep, dark secrets. I don't want people understanding how sick and lonely and miserable I am and all this stuff in my life. I picked this dude, I don't even remember his name, but he, he'd come to me in like a tie and a suit, and I was like, that's the dude. <laughs> and he was like a real high bottom guy, right? like a wine drinker, and you know, I was like, this guy, this guy, this could be the dude. So we went through, I half asked my way through a first, second, third step. I felt a little bit better than I did a real lazy, lazy fourth step where I didn't really talk about much, just some stuff I thought, you know, I'll say, I'll be honest about a little, little part of my life about, about this. And I shared it with this man, and he went back out and started drinking again. I was like, oh, that's about right. Like, I guess he didn't, I guess he didn't do what I did. I guess he wasn't like a full-blown gutted junk, junkie. I'm like, cool. But I felt better. For the first time in my life, whatever was inside of me mm-hmm. felt better. Mm-hmm. And that was different. It was something different. It was like that first time I took a drink of alcohol. There was something different about being half honest about some stuff. And I, I was like, okay, I can see how this works. But I stopped doing the steps because I felt better. And I'm lazy. I'm an alcoholic. I think I got this. I remember when we got to the men's process, when I got to the men's process, my sponsor left, so I figured I'd you know, try it. I, I did a one sorry ass of men's. Felt even a little bit more better. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I just said sorry. <laughs> I won't do it again. <laughs> Whatever it was. I can't remember. But I felt better. And that, that feeling I got from just doing those minuscule steps and ideas changed my life for a long time like i had my son my sobriety date then was november 12 2002 i had my son november 12 2004 and in my eyes and this is how alcoholics and drug addicts think like i became accountable this is my new higher power like i'm not going to put my son through what my, my dad put me through there's no way i'm going to drink and do drugs again and this is the reason why and i thought that was i thought that was the answer and you know that worked I started doing less AA meetings. I, I'd go to like one AA meeting a year and get my chip. And the guys who knew me be like, hey, Jeremy, I guess you made another year so. I was like, I got it. You guys are all stupid sitting here every day taking action and talking all this BS about you guys don't even know what you're talking about. All you need is a kid in your life, and your life is different. <laughs> and that's what I did. And about six and a half years sober, that feeling came back again. Like, I want to drive my work van off a bridge. I don't care who I take out with me. You know, I used to fantasize about how I'm going to kill myself. And I made a plan because I'm, I'm one of these really hard-headed al- alcoholics who wants to one-up everybody. The longest time my dad ever got was six years. So I figured, like, when I got my seven-year chip on my son's fifth birthday, I'm going to go to get my chip and go home and blow my brains out. I had written a note. I still have the bullet I was going to use to this day at my house. And I was going to do that because I was like, I can't live like this. There's nothing in the world that's going to make me any better. Like, this is miserable and I don't want to drink again because I'm terrified of that I don't want to live because I'm terrified of that so what am I going to do so of course I do what I always did and I call my dad and my dad said I'm going to make you a deal if you show up tomorrow we go to this noon meeting 
and if you want to kill yourself after that you got my you got my blessing that's what my dad told me i said all right deal so that's what i did we went to that new meeting the next day and they started talking about something i've, I've never really got to right they talked about the 12 step which is about carrying this message of other alcoholics and living these principles in all my affairs and I didn't even know what the principles were. That's seven years sober. Been in A since 1982. My dad, I had no idea what the spiritual principles were of this program. I'm sitting there listening. I'm listening to this guy from Philly who had similar life to me talk about how his outlook and attitude towards life changed. How, how by being there for others and showing up changed his whole perspective on this whole sobriety thing and this recovery thing. So I asked him to be my sponsor. And honestly, like if you're thing about recovery new in recovery like my my suggestion always is find someone and go through the work as quick as possible don't be one of those people that i'm doing my first step and it takes you 30 days like no we went through the steps in about 10 weeks all of them oh. and my life changed like i did honest fifth step for the first time in my life i told a man everything in my life all my deep dark secrets how i felt i was the most vulnerable with that man i've ever been in my life and it was life-changing and i did i did the work and th that feeling i got from the first time i did it was just a little bit it was a bigger impact like they talk about like happy joyous and free and alcoholics anonymous i don't care about the happy and joyous part i care about the free part because that's what i've been seeking my whole life right like purpose and meaning and freedom and then you know my sponsor got me doing all sorts of a stuff like salvation army stuff speaker meetings sponsoring people and just doing the deal and my life changed like they talk about those promises and they all came true and i would have told you you're full of full of crap if you told me those promises i'm sure like yeah you're, you're out of your mind there's no there's no way that any of those things could come true for a guy like me because i've done horrendous things i, I don't deserve them and he's like, just do them and watch it like change. So that's what I did. I remember, I was, and this is why I talk about like addictions undefeated. I remember I, I, I was doing an amends with my dad for the first time in seven and a half years. I finally built up enough courage to go talk to this man about how I felt and my part in it. I, I'd worked it out. And I went and saw him on May 5th, 2010. I was seven and a half years sober-ish. And we talked for like three hours. And he explained his life and his addiction and for the first time in my life I, I, I understood what empathy was I, I understood like I can't put myself ever in another man's shoes because that's what I always try to do like if I was him I wouldn't do that why would he do that that's not what a man does and I, I finally kind of had to grasp with this like why my mom left because I can't I don't know why I can't put myself in her shoes I have no idea and for the first time in my life I understood what forgiveness was because I forgave this man for the first time ever and I truly forgave him and as I'm walking out the door he goes hey Jeremy just so you know I forgave you a long time ago and then that struck me because those are the last words my dad ever said to me because I found a week later dead with a needle in his arm that's why I say this disease is undefeated because I, I, I know no matter what no matter how, how hard we try this disease is always waiting for me it's always right in the back of my mind saying all right I'm, I'm gonna get you today what do they say doing push-ups in the parking lot whatever it is i always picture like a little committee coming together and be like how are we going to kill jeremy today and you know they're smarter than me i mean so i made it through that sober which is unbelievable i just had this breakthrough with freedom and forgiveness 
and I had to deal with my dad's death. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And it's the people in Alcoholics Anonymous that saved my life. They were all there for me. All my dad's old friends were there. And I, I made it through, and I continued to practice these principles in all my affairs. You know, and it's, this disease is insidious. You know, I, I was doing real, real good for about 12 years of sobriety. I was in it, doing all of it. And then one day something just clicked, like, what am I doing this for? You know, I, I stopped showing up. You know, my, my buddy in AA died, who I used to speak with. He died of cancer, about 12 years sober. And uh, I don't know, I, I stopped doing it again because my brain is trying to kill me. You know, from, year, my, from 12 years sober to 14 years sober, I really didn't do much in AA. I, I got back to that old routine of showing up maybe once every three months, saying hi to people and saying, I'm great, when inside I'm dying. I'm slowly dying inside again. And that, whatever that is inside of me is getting bigger. That apathy is coming back. That delusion of like, I don't, none of this matters, you know. And, uh, you know, 14 years I spoke in an AA meeting, November 12, 2016. And two days later, I was smoking crack with my brother. Just right back like it never stopped. And, you know, I remember thinking like, there's no way it could get worse than it was. But those, I, I went out for four and a half years. And in those, those four and a half years, it was some of the darkest, loneliness, miserable points of my life. I did things I never thought I'd do. I thought I did terrible stuff back then. I did more terrible stuff then. I lied to my friends. I abandoned my son. You know, all of it. All that stuff us addicts are so good at doing. You know, if I was a professional in anything, I'd be a drug addict because I'd be like in the Hall of Fame. And I'm, I'm okay with it. I get it. I'm okay with who I am today because I've taken hard looks at my life. And it's like, yeah, it's addiction. You know, a lot of people come to AA thinking of this bad person I always tell them like, I don't believe I don't really believe in bad people I, I always think we make bad decisions and do a lot of bad things because that's our, our disease and we yeah. don't know how to how to work around things yeah. sick people Th trying to get well that's it and yeah you know we're doing with the best you know I was talking to a gentleman the other day who was talking about you're doing the best that you can for what you have at that moment mm -hmm. You know, and he's not even in recovery, and that just speaks to recovery. I do remember the last days. I remember seeing you in Capital Cigars, and that was like the day before you took off with your brother, and I just seen it, just like man. I looked at, I looked at everybody that we were sitting at the table. I go, "Is he all right?" And I was like, "I don't know, man, but I don't know if he's coming back." You know, when we sat there every day, me and Cornelius and everything, and Jeremy just disappeared. He just vaporized. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's the thing about addiction. When I when I tell people that don't have addiction problems, I was like, you'll know if I'm high if I stop answering the phone and you can't find me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you have to physically come look for me, mm -hmm. or I will give you an obscure phone call out of apology because I'm I you know I'm totally out of my mind and feeling myself for that moment because I've had too much of whatever I'm doing. I'm tired. And, you know, what's crazy about your four years is it's similar when we were talking about when I went out after I had this big federal case, that was like the, I got the gift beyond belief. You know, I walked away from a federal crime, got out, finished, finished parole, probation, supervised release simultaneously, superstar status. The day that I got done with with supervised release I checked myself into rehab because they stopped UA and me 
you know, and it's it's those things that like what ruined my whole party. And I went out again after that. Eight months later, I went out for another three months. But twelve steps ruined the whole party. I'm sitting there twelve stepping myself the whole time. I'm thinking about concepts. I'm talking to people that have no idea what I'm talking about, and they're like, "Shut up! I'm getting high, bro." Like nobody cares, you know. Like it's it's just those things that happen, and and you know, you know, I follow a higher power. You know, I always give Christians and Catholics and everybody else a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, gas. Jeremy. He really don't believe, so I made up a name, so I call him Jesus Pisto. So imagine like Chingo Bling with his hair feathered back into a duck bill, and that's that's Jeremy's new higher power mm. because he knows that he's down enough to be able to handle Jeremy. So, you know what I mean? so I'd insert insert Jesus some way. So I always tell him Jesus Pistos loves you, bro. You know what I mean? So with that being said, you know, let him get back to the mic. But if if your listeners, if if you're hearing. What's happening, it's not perfection. It's just downright keep on working it. It doesn't matter what other people think. It's not their business. It's yours. And you have to be able to look at yourself and you have to do the things to get yourself well. And sometimes even with years upon years upon years of recovery, you're not going to be well, you know. All transparency, you know, that's why I got myself a sponsor that knew where I was going. You know, I beat my head on the on the on the wall. I was talking to Nani for what a year about a sponsor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, man, I gotta find one, but ain't nobody gonna understand what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the dude was standing right in front of me at the boxing matches, football games, everything in the middle of a casino, sitting there, and you know, appeared back into recovery, and it was like, boom, you know. So I said, hey, I need help. And that's how you do that. Even with 10 and a half years, you're like, hey, man, I need help. I'm drowning a little bit here. You know, I'm not thinking straight. I'm, I'm you know, I'm making people mad on every corner. And that's when you know when you're sick. Because you be making people mad on every corner sober and you're not making decisions right and you're doing the things, you know, perfectly normal and fine with work and whatever is happening. But in addiction is your responses and how you're handling it. Because, you know, even if you're not making people mad, you're making yourself mad and you're making yourself sad and you're making yourself extreme to one to the next and you know what I mean? You know, you begin to start telling people that they're doing things when they're not and you're walking on eggshells because your recovery is not where it needs to be because if you pick a pathway, you got to stick to it. If you don't have a pathway, you got to pick a pathway. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not an osmosis. He just talked about it in his story here. It goes from meetings every day to one meeting every three months to just picking up your chip or picking up your key tag, and then you're out there. You know, you have to better, your, better yourself to be well. You have to do those things to, to make sure. You have to have the surroundings of people, you know. For myself in Las Vegas, I had to surround myself with people that were either in recovery or did not drink and drug. And if they did drink, they drank whatever responsibly looks like they kind of show it with like one drink it's like why even do it because i'm an alcoholic and addict i'm an addict i'm like i'm gonna drink the whole bottle man what's a shot mm -hmm. oh i'm this is great i'm like that's the beginning man what, what's up let's do like six more of those and we go after that finish the bottle let's go get another one you know what i mean it's uh it's those things but you know um 
that's that's uh Jeremy spoke my story I speak his on the same levels of of things we both been in and out all of our lives my father's got 46 years of recovery you know what I mean um not a day in AA NACA or anything else like that he did it that old school church work way but all the things that happen in recovery he picked a pathway and that was his pathway that he explained to me when i did my amends explained to me how he does it i was wondering why this guy would always be systematically calm when my whole world was literally blowing up in front of the whole family and full of the community and full of the law enforcement everything was blown up but he was just sitting there with that look and that's how you know recovery works because he just sat there patiently and just waited to give support. Didn't give a lot of words, just wait, let me talk. But then he gave me the golden nuggets of recovery that I needed to do to think right, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are those things that you need in a sponsor. You don't need a father, but you know, you, you, you need a brother in recovery, a sister in recovery that doesn't want to like dictate what you're doing, that has done the work, that's been through the work. You know, so let me ask you, Jeremy. Father dies. A lot of people don't get that amend before he goes away. You lose your son. You lose all friends. You lose everything. You get pulled back in by one of the coolest men, most, most ballsiest corporate guys I ever met in my life. You know what I mean? We'll keep his anonymity there. But, you know, with that being said, pulls you out of the fire. You're back here. You know, you still are going to meetings, what keeps it ticking? What, through that whole journey, what what makes you feel confident? Because like the Vegas thing, you've been doing it for quite some more time than I have for years, you know? And you and our boys have been there for years, taught me the way to do it right versus wrong. You know what I mean? What is that that recovery golden nugget if we can even get a golden nugget we get a couple we can get five what does that look like for our listeners to know how do you act in a normal environment in a very hostile environment and when i'm when i mean by hostile is mean it's hostile to your recovery what did what hostile looks to the normal person that can just be in a casino gamble do whatever drink and and whatever else for a person in recovery just walking in that door is anxiety for some of them for majority majority can't come out those rooms they have to stick in the cookie parties with the na meetings the aa meetings and do the things and all that kind of stuff and they got 20 years in recovery if they try to go to a casino they know they can't and they will speak passionately in a in a meeting oh no 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 i can't go there i can't go there what in your recovery allows you affords you blesses you Jesus peace was just said. <laughs> You're welcome. The mindset and the spirituality to be able to do that. Hmm. I mean, I was pretty lucky in my recovery. I got a few good friends of mine that you know were there to save my life when I came back. You know, my buddy, the one he's talking about, used to call me once a month when I went back out just to make sure I was alive. Never like preached AA to me never told me to go back none of that stuff he just want to make sure i was okay and you know one thing about this program is you find people in it that are like family right it's not like just friends like these people would do anything for me you know they would 
take a bullet for me, hide a body for me, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's a key to it, right? Like we do this program and we get this fellowship and we find these people with like-mindedness and can relate to the stuff we've been through and understand the fire, right? And understand like, I didn't get sober just to sit on my hands and be like, please, I don't want to drink today. Please, I don't want to do drugs today. I got sober so I could live life. And I got sober so I could enjoy what life has to offer. Yes. And that's, that's one of the, the beautiful things about it because I was always terrified, like, drinking and drugs are my identity. It's who I am. I'm a, I'm a drug addict. This is, this is what I do. And then, you know, come to find out, like, it, it tells me in those promises in that book that my outlook and attitude towards life will change. And once I did this work, and it, and it did... No, and he's right. I'm a, I'm an atheist. I'm a nihilist. I think life is meaningless. I think when we die, we just that's a wrap. I don't sit here and like tell people to go pray or meditate. I don't do none of that stuff. What I tell them is, when you do this program, you'll find a purpose and meaning you've been searching for your whole life. Yes, like the nihilist and the Big Lebowski. <laughs> Not like that. I'm just I, don't, I don't got a little varmint or whatever it is. He shows up as a TV repairman. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. I, 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 pre- I preach the 12 stuff of Alcoholics Anonymous because I know that's what's going to save my ass when I get in a fire. And none of the other steps are going to save my ass. You know, what's going to save me is helping another person. Because when I do that, I get out of myself. Because myself is what's, what's dangerous. Like my brain is what's dangerous. Because like, I, I, I have two sides of my brain. One that makes up the BS and the other side that, be- that believes it. Like, yeah, that's right. I don't have like a truth factor. I had to reach out to my friends and be like, am I thinking straight? Because most of the time I'm not. I'm, I'm crazy. Like most alcoholics are crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. And that's, that's what gets me through is I have friends who believe the way I believe that this program is about purpose and meaning. It has nothing to do with quitting drinking doing drugs. It's like a bait and switch type thing. Yeah. Like we come in here because our lives are a disaster, right? Our lives are a train wreck a bad decision after bad decision and people we hurt all that stuff mm-hmm. but the the, the bait switch of it is like we learn how to love ourselves again Absolutely. we learn how to forgive ourselves again we learn how to have compassion and empathy and kindness and gentleness and then you get around a bunch of like-minded people who have done the work and see that purpose and understand that we absolutely insist on enjoying life and that's what we do and I don't hang out with like normal like I don't go I've never been to like the wine and cheese parties yeah. I've, I've been invited but I don't see myself like holding up a pinky and eating some brie cheese and be like this sounds like a good time yeah. because it's not <laughs> what's well, a good time for me is being with the people that I love and living life the way we should be living life mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. when something happens I'm there for them it's it's real simple once you do this work like, like for me I do like five simple things a day the first thing I do is I remind myself I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. If I do drugs or alcohol, my goal is to burn this world down and take everybody with me. I don't care who you are. If I feel bad, we're all feeling bad. Absolutely. That's how I am. You know, the other day when you got your chip, you got three years, by the way. Yeah, I did. Yes. Okay. Um, um, and the, the thing about it is I was listening to everybody in that room. And for the ones that know him, like, he's got a bigger heart than the story. You know what I mean? And for somebody that follows Jesus Pistos all the time, he's more spiritual than anything that, that you can see breathing. You know, like you can just let me paint a picture. There's a place called Resort World for the people that know. You can just kind of follow it with your mind that even know the building. You can walk into a place called Eight. It costs about $10,000 a year to be a member at this place. 
beautiful place. It's gorgeous. You got the owners of the Raiders in there in, in a one room. You could have anybody. Where I met Julius Irving, for, for, for God's sake, shook his hand and, and gave him a cigar. You know, um, and that's all the types of things that you'll see on the commercial. But I've had more talks with Jeremy about recovery in life and pulling my card when he's talking about I don't know the right and wrong. And when I say it, like, no, 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 homie, this is how it is. In that beautiful place, we got clothes on that are probably more than our paycheck makes us look. You know what I mean? We make all right money, but everybody's got to dress Vegas when you're there. Not the sequence, girls, in the fishnet. I'm just telling you right now. You look like a hooker inside the, the place. Stop doing that. Just wear them by the pool and go back up to your room. Don't go to the middle bar. You're gonna, they're going to think you're a hooker. But anyway. Good. I just had to throw that out there because I know some girls from the hood. They're like, yo, I'm going to put this on and go down. They're like, you look like a hooker, yo. But anyway, you know, with that being said, we're, nothing wrong we're, with dressed, that. we're, dressed, we're dressed great. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. You, do, you rock with what you got. That was a very expensive fishnet. But um, we'll be sitting there and just the conversations of recovery and support, you know, and that's a big thing that I was getting at that Jeremy maybe subconsciously doesn't, doesn't realize he's doing, but he does is conversations that we have about recovery in any place, anytime, anywhere. Also, it's in every step. So if you're wondering how you get through those fires, when you're walking with another person in recovery, you know that you're safe. You know that there's barriers, there's unspoken words. You know, when I first started going into bars, I made sure the bartenders knew exactly that I'm in recovery. They would soon 86 me out the door than be responsible for giving me something that would ruin my life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I go out of my way to make sure I make friends with those people and they know my story and they know that so they won't give me anything like mm -hmm. that and slip up and somebody say, hey, they bought that. And we're like, nah, he ain't going to drink that. He yeah. doesn't He doesn't do that's that. That's a real bartender, by the yeah, way. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's, that's a real bartender. That's a good one. But you know what you do is, is you know you, you tell people your story and how things go. You know, and some of them might do it, and they, but I guarantee you if you do it the right way, they're going to be like, are you sure, Mr. Hernandez? Are you sure? You know what I mean? You can get past that too, but what I'm saying is in the real world is – to walk through that, you can't walk alone. You have to seek out the people, and the people ain't gonna come to you. You gotta find them, you gotta make friends, you gotta make sure the phone ain't a thousand pounds, you gotta do those things that you gotta do to make sure you're safe in every any area. You know, when I fly out to a different place, I know where a cigar, meeting, a cigar shop's at and a meeting. I know everybody in that state that I need to know. I'm good, I'm good. No matter any parts of my life, any parts of my life, any relationship status that I've been, all that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I am broke or I have money in my pocket and I have things to do. It doesn't matter. I have to find those two things because I know those two things. One, the cigar shops. I enjoy cigars. It keeps me in a safe place. It keeps me out of the, the mix. Two, I need my recovery people there just in case something, the wheels fall off. Mm -hmm. And somebody's not answering the phone back home, you know. So what do you think about? Let's talk about that and let's kind of get spiritual. Like, let's talk to the people about the listeners about what spirituality means, because like a lot of people just hear agnostic, nihilist. They hear atheist. They're like, whatever. Like, what is it like? It's just that. Well, I mean, I have a question because, you know, yeah. when people go to AA meetings, a lot of people get turned off by the idea of a higher power or God, and that keeps them away mm -hmm. from going to AA or NA meetings. 
you're an atheist. So what was that like for you when you first were going through those doors? So I'll tell the story. So my buddy, when I came back to get sober, I wasn't going to go back to AA. I was had a lot of guilt and shame and plus all the God. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to deal with it. My buddy like text me for like seven straight days. Go to name and you'll feel better. Go to name. It's like almost like my dad was talking to me again and give me advice. And out of pure spite, I went. I went to say AA meeting. I was going to tell this dude some choice words. Like, no, I don't feel that good anymore. I still feel like whatever. But it's not what happened. I walked into that room and I felt at home again. And nobody said a word. I just felt at home because I, I was like the piss stained chairs, the junkies, the long hair, like the old dude. I'm like, I'm home again. And I talk about, like, they talk about the higher power and stuff. Like, I, I, can't, I could never grasp my my head around like everything happens for a reason or there's a puppet up there like if i pray something's gonna happen I, i'm always been kind of an action guy right so when, when i look at the higher power stuff i always tell people that's my higher purpose i, I find a purpose of meaning in this program that's bigger than me because everything in my life before this is all about jeremy and i find this purpose in this program that's not about me it's about everybody else and that's what i i live live for i mean that's what that's what I do this whole thing for. And I, 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 I'd love to replace every God thing in that book with purpose, our love. Replace, put those two words in there because those are the two things that are going to save your ass. Yeah. You know, I'm not the guy that says, if I pray, everything's going to go the way I want it to go because it's never happened for me in my life. And I've maybe prayed like four times, so probably not a huge, huge <laughs> yeah. spectrum of it. But, but you're still higher powers, man. <laughs> so you did it in me. Your so. higher powers, <laughs> But I, I do believe... Like the spirituality of it for me is like, I don't drink and do drugs today, and I care, and I I love myself, nice. and I love other people, and that I never had that before this, and that's to me is like something like I don't believe in miracles, I don't think none of that stuff, but it's it's incredible to see people like me, people like Tomas, get better in this in this world and be able to help other people. Like who would have thought? Like, this dude's going to be a help, helping people. <laughs> I'm going to be helping people. Yeah. And not by anything I'm good at, just through experience. I'm not good at anything except drinking and doing drugs and getting better. And through that experience, I can help people. And that's, that's what I do. And I'm very vocal about being an atheist in AA, too, because people are afraid of that God word. People run away from that. Yes. And I don't. I don't want people to run away. Right. It tells me in that book. I think that, it's a very powerful really thing to important. say. You know, I mean, it's a very like AA is supposed to be inclusive, right? We're not supposed to exclude anybody. So I, I try to preach that message because I know how how hard it is to ask for help. Like I need help. That's the hardest thing an alcoholic ever probably has to do. Is I need help. So when you come and ask for help, is some dudes preaching Jesus at you or some crazy God notion, and you don't believe in that? Where are you going to turn to? Mm -hmm. you know, so that's why I, I'm very vocal about it. And I'm very honest about you still have to find something bigger than yourself. Whatever that is. I, I don't care what you choose. For me, it's the purpose of this program and helping other people and, you know, showing up. Like, if you really want to get sober, like, you better be showing up every day for your recovery. Whatever that looks like. You know, if it's talking on the phone or going in a meeting or whatever, whatever you're doing, praying or meditating, I don't care what you do. You just better do that every single day. You started to say there were five things that you do every yeah. day. What, were the, what so, were the other four? So things? the number two thing I do is I ask myself if I need help. Am I willing to ask for help? Because that's always hard for me because I might need help, but I might not be willing to ask for it because I'm scared or whatever it is. And I have to get there. 
The third thing I do is I ask myself, is there anybody in my life that needs help? Just like a phone call or they need me to do something big, whatever it is. The fourth thing I do is like the 10th step was like, if I make a mistake during the day, I try to make that right. But honestly, it doesn't happen all the time because sometimes as an alcoholic, I like that feeling of I did something bad. I like that self-pity. I like that little, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm kind of an asshole. I kind of like that. So that's alcoholics. And if, you, if you're an alcoholic, you understand. Yes. You know, and, and, and the fifth thing I do is when I lay my head down at night, I, I thank Alcoholics Anonymous and the fellowship for keeping my ass sober that day. And those five things, as simple as it is, is what keeps me sober. It's hard to do. Like I tell people all the time, like, Alcoholics Anonymous is going to be the hardest thing you do, the most beautiful thing you do, the most heartbreaking thing you do, and the most rewarding thing you do. Because you're going to see a lot of people lose. It's those people that win that change your life. Yeah. And we see someone get better, and that feeling inside goes away because all I had to do was show up. And that's, that's why I do this. You know, that's why I show up. And that's the thing about it. You see that loss. I, I don't know how many times that me and Cornelius and Orlando and everybody else was like, man, y'all seen Jeremy? Like, nah, I ain't seen Jeremy. And just after a while, you just stop talking about Jeremy. And then all of a sudden, I got into a meeting and he's got some Versace Elvis glasses on. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's sitting there smiling again. And what's great about that is you have so much loss that happens. You have a breath sigh of release that he's alive in a meeting. You know what I mean? That feels great. And then you got to test yours because he's been going to different meetings. And he's like, yo, you got like two some years. I missed that. So I better get on my stuff a little <laughs> bit more. You know what I mean? And it's just a measure of it's not a competition, but it's the same time. But I think a lot of people do not like to be in the recovery scene because how much loss that you see. Because a lot of normal people don't understand. And then if you're mixed on two different sides, I mean, nothing against the people that have just lived in a life of addiction. But if you have street and you have addiction, it gets really, really diluted with death on both sides. You know, we were just talking about a 1% funeral on the way up the elevator here that went bad. We were just talking the other day about some things that are happening in in another part of the state, you know, that have nothing to do with recovery. Then we have another person that just went out. This and that. It's just a conversation of a continent, constant reminder. And also at the same time, you know, you it develops a thicker skin that you can use in the world because you understand that that death is not about you. That death is between that person and their creator or their higher purpose or however that you you put that their higher purpose purpose has got them to that point and that it doesn't matter if that's your wife husband girlfriend boyfriend enemy it has nothing to do with you well if it's your enemy and you did it you're probably going to jail <laughs> but you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. you probably should run and try to find your higher purpose <laughs> you know at that point but you really have to think about the series of events of I love this interview because it breaks it down in kind of that Quentin Tarantino-ish situation to where he told you where he landed and where he went back right from the beginning paragraph but he articulated the the, the, the whole grasp of, and concept of, of getting to recovery and also at the major golden ticket what I heard from your story is this if you don't do these things I could be sitting in eight, and that could be the last time I ever see you again in my life. 100%. And that is a scary thought, because those are the connections that you have when you're in recovery. 
You know, those are the connections that, that scare family members. You know, my, my family here at home has been dead scared of what Vegas is going to do to me. Deathly scared. And you know, the, <laughs> the craziest thing about it is all my problems, I've created them here in Colorado. It doesn't matter <laughs> where I'm at. You know what I mean? I just packed them in and put on some gold and grew a beard. Wherever you, know, you go, there you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it has nothing right to do with there. Las Vegas. I really, I really do. I'm really impressed with myself on how I've actually surrounded myself with some good things that I protect myself from that place. You know what I mean? And I'm, you know, it's just that's a thing. But you know, those are those things that when you're in those rooms, that we could probably all of us can count right now how many people just on the show, just on the show, Slim. How many people sat in front of this mic that ain't here no more? You know what I mean? Too Matt, many. Too yeah, many. That's you know. Just, just, that's the word, is too many. Yeah, you know, Matt Atzinger. Mm-hmm. Man, pain in the butt every day. I remember that kid called me from jail <laughs> at 12.30 at night. I had no idea who he was from Arapahoe County, and he said, I'm going to be your new house manager. I go, who is this? He goes, Matt Atzinger. I go, how are you using the phone at this time? He goes, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? I'm like, all right. You know what I mean? Gets out. Kid is with me for years. Um, I remember seeing him the last time. He looked like he was just rolled up in, in stir fry. You know, that's how I know when Jeremy's mental, mentally sick, he looks like he's been mowing the lawn for three days Yeah, and shows up <laughs> scruffy and you know what I mean? And all that stuff. And, but he'll tell you, he'll text. But with, with, with Matt, I just knew that something was wrong. And, you know, I think about that kid every week, you know what I mean? Bam. You know, there's a lot of different people that, that, that we've lost, you know, but then there's a lot of triumphs that are out there that, we see that do great, great, great things, you know, that, that are still doing great things, and you run into those stories. But, you know, Slim has managed to put recovery on the air. Like, mm-hmm. how do we win multiple awards on this show coming from your mindset to do this to, because it was out of passion, right? You wanted your life back. You held yourself yeah. accountable. But it was meeting people like you guys. You know, it was those people around me who were – in their recovery, you know, who kind of helped pave that way for me, who showed me what I needed to do, took me to my first meeting, you know, asked me if I needed help, uh-huh. you know, and looked out for me. Yeah. You know, and if it, if it wasn't for those people, I would have never at, at any point when I got into my recovery said, hey, I want to help other people. This is just me trying to do my part of, of passing it along to other people, uh-huh. you know, and I can't do it without you guys as the team. You know, we all do this together. We all, you know, we're all on the same mission, you know, a higher purpose. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, Jeremy, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of different things. What, what, what is your outlook on, on, on recovery today? You know, we got fentanyl. We got all these things. We got hustlers out here. We got, they, they move different. And, you know, we might have old man discussions about it, like, man, ain't like us no more. You know what I mean? All that stuff. But no, like, really, truly, without the the whatever, not, you know, everything's categorized a pronoun now. So, like, what are we, like, Gen X? I don't even know what we are. You know what I mean? But not from that, that standpoint, but from a real recovery man standpoint, if you're seeing what today looks like, if there's a listener right now 
that is going to think about using or is using during this show or really wants to pick up that phone and do those things, what is the reality of recovery if you've seen a new, newcomer that said, hey, how you doing? I'm such and such. I want to talk to you. The meeting after a meeting, so to speak. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, literally, and everybody, the meeting after the meeting means that you have an hour for a meeting. Everybody gets their share. When the time is up, we say there's a meeting after the meeting. And we get together and we talk. We go smoke cigars. Some people go to Village Inn or Denny's or whatever. And we, we could sit there for 10 minutes or six, seven hours hanging out. So that's the meeting after the meeting. Mm-hmm. So... Like the world, like the drug world today is like absolutely terrifying, right? Like I talked about that, that dream of drugs giving me like oblivion, right? Like nowadays, like drugs give you death as soon as you take them. It's I mean, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, rob the bottom. If if fentanyl was around when I was doing drugs, I would have done that in a heartbeat because that's what I wanted. Like so, when people come in asking that that question, I always ask them like, "What's your choice? Do you want to live or do you want to die?" Because if you can't answer that you want to live, like, you got to take some real dark looks at yourself because I know that feeling of wanting to die. I, I know that feeling of going to sleep and hoping I don't wake up again. And I, yeah. I tell them, like, here's, here's what I found in this program. Like, I find what I seek, right? I, I find if I'm seeking light, hope, love, all that kind of stuff, I find it. But it takes me a lot longer because it's very uncomfortable for me and I don't, really understand it sometimes i don't understand those things because of how i grew up like if i'm seeking darkness misery isolation loneliness anger hate and fear all that stuff i find that real quick because that's where i'm comfortable yeah and so when i ask these guys i say if you really want to do this thing you have to do a lot of uncomfortable things until they become comfortable you have to show up almost every single day you're going to want to have to live more than you want to die every single day and it's hard. I, I know it's hard for drug addicts because I, I know that feeling of I, I just wish I could die. Yeah. You know, I was uh, my buddy. Like eleven days after I got sober, so my buddy got in a car accident. He's high on meth for like four days, and they flipped a van, and he's a quadriplegic now. And this man probably saved my life because I was able to see this man who's, who probably says he wants to die, and I watched this man fight every day to live and try to have a different life and he struggles and he's selfish and he's a drug addict and I get it but I see it in his eyes that he wants to live and I, I, you can see people if you come to an AA meeting if you're showing up you probably made a decision you want to live because why would you show up yeah. that's what I tell them like why, why, are you, why are you here like if you're a drug addict or alcoholic like I tell people on this first step like you know in your heart you're an alcoholic like you, you don't need me to tell you this if you, if you don't think you're ready then what are you doing here stop wasting time but if you're ready, like, it's, it's time. Like, I, I can show you pages and pages of people I know that have died from this stuff. If you want to be part of that, it's real simple. If you want to be, like, on that one sheet of paper, the people I know that got sober, this is what we do. And it's not, I tell people it gets worse before it gets worse. Absolutely. Then, like, talk about, like, that, the meeting that you go to, and, and we can't keep the anonymity of the, well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's an open meeting, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Talk to them about okay. About that meeting and, and how you get down in there and talk to them about it. And, and keep in mind, I'm going to paint the picture. This is a detox facility. It's probably not the best detox facility. This is not something that you really wanted. You can't even use your insurance card on. You just end up there. Oh, you know which one? The, the newcomers meeting that you do that you, that you do that everybody talks about. Well, that's a nice rehab place. Is it? That's one of the oh, nicest detox I've ever seen. <laughs> I thought you were still going to the dirt one. Like I no, used to go no, to no, no. stairs all the time. <laughs> no, I don't go to, no, I go to yeah. the nice rehab meeting. Yeah. But I, I tell them the same thing. Like most of you people ain't going to make it. 
because mm-hmm. alcohol is undefeated. Yeah. But if you want to make it, you want to do it out of spite because you hate what I'm saying to you, show up. Yeah. I mean, that's what this takes. Like, you ain't mm-hmm. going to get this thing not showing up, laying in your bed and f- afraid of everything. You got to show up. Yeah. You know, the meeting we started, I love the meeting that I go to now is Gift of Desperation. It's at noon every day on South Broadway. But what happened was, like, the meeting I went to to start broke up, whatever, the building got by. One one side decided to go to a church, and we're like, no, nah, we can't do that. So, like, four of us guys, the grimy dudes who I love to this day, decided we're going to have a meeting on Broadway. And we went to this garage behind this Mexican restaurant with no toilet, no heater, and we just sat there and started this meeting. And we, we, we started with four dudes, and those guys listened to me get better and watched me get better. And we... We finally moved into this nice little spot. Tomas has been there. Now we get like 30, 30, 30 people there every day. And it's just because we show up. Mm-hmm. I, I keep showing up because I know when I stop showing up, that that's when this thing's going to get me. Because this thing's still waiting. It's not like because I'm, I'm sober and I'm not drinking, doing drugs today, that this disease isn't ready to kill me. Yeah, you know, like when you when you go, start going to the meetings, like you re- don't realize how many meetings are around you. Oh, yeah. Remember downtown? It blew my head back that I could pretty much hit a meeting three to four times a day in all of just the downtown circled area. I could hit an early morning, early bird. I could hit two, three different meetings at noon. I could hit a three o'clock. I could hit a six o'clock. I could hit an eight o'clock. I'd go to a candlelight one. On a Saturday, I'd go to a 1030 one that starts until... You know, that midnight meeting, that the old AA midnight meeting, you know, it, it changed a little bit on COVID. It's starting to, s- to snap back, you know, and that's what COVID brought us to is you can go online and snap a meeting in wherever you want. You know what I mean? Me, I'm more of the essence guy. I got to smell the coffee. I got to be there. I got to I got to sit there. You know, I've done online meetings, but it's just really not. It doesn't spark my interest unless I'm like sitting up a chair on the wall. You know what I mean? <laughs> and trying to pretend that it's accessible that. for people. It's exactly. Nice but it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But yeah. use it. You know, don't don't listen to me on that. You know, and I talk to people about different pathways of recovery. That's really not the show because we're really talking about abstinent based recovery today. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is sober. So you guys know what the difference between sober and clean is. One is AA, which means sober. That is the signified word of 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 recovery there being clean is the narcotics anonymous way so when you hear two people talking in recovery one person is saying clean and one person is saying sober um it's a difference or you hear them saying clean and sober and they're really like ca because they're the confused anonymous (laughs) you know they kind of do everything just they don't have their own literature they just kind of you know they shoplift from everybody it works you know you like it to my friends out there that love ca CA. keep on going i love it too i love ca i love it too but you know what i mean it's 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 real grimy people it's heroin anonymous Love you know, that I too. got this book I got to show you. It's called Gangsters Anonymous. <laughs> this dude gave it to me. You know what I mean? And I got, you know, I got some crazy ideas, y'all, behind that. I, I got it from a guy that has, you know, 36 years in recovery, my homeboy Anthony. He got this book, and it's a, and it's a real 12-step-based book. That's what's cool about 12 steps is you got, you know, you got, uh, what is it, the punk rock version uh, of, of recovery? What is that? And then you got the Buddhist version of recovery. Oh, Dharma. Dharma. You know yeah. what I mean? You got a lot of different so, ways, pathways. So there's a 12-step program for gangsters. Yeah, Gangsters <laughs> Anonymous, man. I'm, I got the book, yeah, yo. I'm loving I got, it. I just gave I'm it to my it. clinical Sorry. director. I'm loving it. Just gave it to Ozzy. Is there anybody that's addicted? If there's anybody out there addicted to gangbanging, 
and you have for gone sure. through yeah, Gangsters not, not Anonymous. Yeah. I want you yeah. to come in and speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're doing mumble rap show. right now with <laughs> their belts on their halfway between their legs. Uh, you know, they all sound like Lil Uzi. <laughs> you know what I mean? How do you know that is? <laughs> it's bad. That's all no, you I don't even know what that is. It's yeah, bad. but um, with that being said, well, you know, um, Jeremy, thank you for what, yeah. what welcome. you know. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to hand it over to, to Slim. And, uh, man, just keep on helping everybody, man. Just keep that higher purpose. Like for the agnostics out there, that is a perfect definition of it. Find your higher purpose. If you don't want to find your higher power, find your higher purpose. I like it. Yeah, yeah I like it. Dude, Jeremy, thank you for being Tomas's sponsor. Yeah. That's, that's work. Yeah. Yeah. That's work. I don't yeah. know how, how many other jobs you have, but that's a job. Yeah, I'm about to. That's a job. So thank but you for that. Dink is only the seventh tradition, and he don't get it. So anyway. Um, and thank you for being here. You're welcome. And thank you for speaking. Uh, Mal Hi, this is sharing our stories. We want to thank Caring for Denver for the work that they do here. I want to thank Tribe Recovery Homes. If you're looking to uh, find recovery for yourself or somebody that you love, know, care about, uh, give them a call. 720-60-TRIBE. That's 720-608-7423. That's right. 7423. All right. 60-TRIBE. And give them a call. If they can't help you, we will definitely put you in touch with somebody that will. All right. And recovery happens. Just know that. This is Sharing Our Stories. You can find the program at facebook.com slash SOS Sharing Our Stories. If you want to watch this in its entirety, if you haven't seen it from the beginning please do that share it uh like and subscribe to our page and we thank you for being here jeremy once again thank you thank you, thank you so thank much you guys. Well, hi, we'll be back once again for sharing our stories